The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Can I tell you why Israel's salvation should matter to you, should matter to every believer? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We're going to have a blast today on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. I believe you'll be encouraged. Hopefully some eye-opening things we'll share from the Word with you as well, and some, some neat updates, testimonies. And as always, I'm ready for your Jewish-related calls on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. So anything that ties in with the subject matter, the things we get into today, by all means, give us a call. Any question you have about Jewish custom, tradition, belief, Jewish background to the New Testament, Messianic prophecy, Hebrew, any things like that, by all means, give us a call, 866-348-7884. Only thing, it's got to be Jewish-related for our Thoroughly Jewish Thursday audience. Okay, everything we do, we do audio first, meaning we started on live radio, We know that the bulk of people that listen to the broadcast listen on podcast after it's on the air. We also know that many of you watch on Facebook or YouTube, so we are audio first, video second. In other words, we'll we'll never just play video with silence. If there's video playing without commentary, then we'll keep talking to give you background. But I say that to say if you are listening live on radio or you're listening later on podcast or some other means – May I encourage you to go to our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown, and look up today's broadcast, or just our website, AskDrBrown.org, and look up today's broadcast, because there are going to be some visual images that, that I'd love for you to see that would be meaningful for you to see. So if you're able to watch afterwards or just switch over now to our Facebook page, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown, or our YouTube channel, Ask Dr. Brown, ASKDR Brown, then by all means, do so. And again, the number to call 866-34-TRUTH. So before we open the scriptures, before we talk to you about why Israel's salvation should be important to you, should matter to you, should be something that you, you pray about or participate in, in one way or another, before we get into that, it relates to a topic we've talked about before, why Paul wrote to the Jew first in Romans 1, not just talking about history, how the gospel started with the Jewish people and went to the Gentiles, but divine priority for divine purposes. Before we get into all that, let me just tell you what happened this past weekend. A, a few weeks back, quite out of the blue, I, I had this, this mental picture, like an internal vision, where I saw myself in the New York, New Jersey area, sitting with ultra-Orthodox rabbis, Orthodox, ultra-Orthodox rabbis under the sukkah, under the booth that's built for, built for the Feast of Tabernacles, where over a week-long period, every day, Jewish families will have meals under there and, and, and meet with friends under there, and it's, it's considered especially sacred thing to do. Now, I didn't grow up in a traditional Jewish home, so we did not build a sukkah. There were very few in our community, which was much more secular. So even though I went to synagogue for the high holy days and was bar mitzvah, 
We didn't build a sukkah. I didn't grow up with that special feeling of building it, looking forward to it like a traditional Jewish person would have. I remember sitting under the local rabbi's sukkah with he and I talking about spiritual things. I remember when Nancy and I got together and, and we were a couple that we both sat under the sukkah. I remember that distinctively. But I, I saw myself in this internal vision under the sukkah. Another program powered by the Truth Network. With a couple of rabbis in particular. Now, the thing is, I, I never think about this. This was not on my mind. This was, it just came completely, I don't remember ever thinking of doing it before. In other words, I've got to take a break in my schedule. I've got to travel up to New York, New Jersey area. I've got to see if these men are available and, and meet with them. Just, just to do it, just to be with them. Not to, no agenda, just to sit with them under the sukkah. So no sooner does that happen. I thought to myself, ah, come on, be realistic. When are you going to break from schedule and just go up and do something like that? That's, that's the way my mind responded to this mental picture that I had. I just have to tell you that for decades, often when the Lord is showing me something I'm going to do, that's how I'll see it. I'll, I'll get this mental picture of it in advance. And then when the thing begins to happen or there's the invitation for it to happen, it's like, oh, good. This is, this is something God wants me to do. So within a day or two of getting that internal vision, I get invited up to the area for, for quite a different purpose by someone else. I get invited up uh, to the area for the weekend, and uh, I thought, this is the Lord. I, I should do this. And, and I had something scheduled for last week, and I was able to move over to this week and just some, some personal spiritual things I had scheduled. I was able to reschedule. Nancy said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. You should go up and do it. So uh, on Sunday, I, I met with uh, a a few different rabbis, and then ultimately ended up hanging out with Rabbi Shmuley in Brooklyn for a few hours. And I'm, going to, I'm going to show you some footage of that, but, but let me just say this first. I have great love and respect for the traditional Jewish community. Are there hypocrites in their midst? Yep. Are there hypocrites in the church? Yep. So nothing new there. Are there people that fall into legalism and so on? It's like, well, if someone's earnestly trying to serve God and they fall into legalism, does that mean I respect them any less? And are there legalists in the church? Yes. Are there traditions that I don't agree with or think that are contrary to Scripture? Of course. Of course. I also say over the years that many church denominations have developed traditions I don't agree with either. And, and I'm not a traditionalist, say, in terms of being Catholic or Eastern Orthodox. So we have our differences. But that does not diminish the fact that there are many, many deeply sincere traditional Jews. And you, as a follower of Jesus, would be moved by their sincerity. You would, you would be moved by their desire to please God and their desire to do what's right and their desire to, to understand the Torah and, and follow God's directives and keep his commandments. So there, there are rabbis I've interacted with for decades we have deep differences, passionate differences. We have sparred back and forth for years. If we published everything we wrote back and forth to each other via email and special article and things like that and special posts, it would amount to thousands of pages. I'm not exaggerating. But in the midst of it, my respect has not diminished. It's increased. So would some of them, would some in their community look at me as doing the work of the devil trying to pull Jews away from traditional Judaism into this heretical belief 
that a man could be God, that Jesus is the Messiah. That's how they view things. Would some of them think I was doing the work of the devil? Yeah, absolutely. And what I think if they are trying to pull Jews away from Jesus into traditional Judaism, that in that sense, pulling them away from the truth and the gospel, that I thought they were doing the devil's work? Yeah, to the extent that they would see me as doing the devil's work, leading Jews to Jesus, I would see them doing the devil's work as pulling Jews away from Jesus. So yes, the, these are very, very deep, passionate differences. But, but I want you to understand that, that for me to be among traditional Jews, I'm talking about those that are, that are deeply sincere. Again, you have hypocrites and people just going through the motions everywhere, just like in the church. That's understood. But as I've interacted for years, as I've seen uh, up close some of these people in terms of really seeking to walk with integrity and deal with truth in, in a righteous way and follow the truth, it moves me all the more to pray for them. And I know they pray for me. So anything that I share and what follows is, is, is in that context, is with that heart. If you've read my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, The Tragic Story of the Church and the Jewish People, in that book, I deal with some of the demonizing of the Jewish people. I deal with misperceptions. I deal with some of the beauties within Judaism. You can read through the Hebrew prayer book, the Sidur, the daily prayers, morning, late afternoon, evening. You can read, <laughs> excuse me, the special prayers for high holy days and things like that. You can do all of that and find much beauty there. And, and your heart will long to pray for the Jewish people all the more because of the longing for the redemption of the coming of the Messiah. And, and, and your, your, your heart beats even more in prayer, in desire. There's a chapter in Our Hands Are Stained With Blood called So Near and Yet So Far. And uh, I wrote that thinking also of Paul's words of, of his Jewish people having a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. And of course, they would say that about me, that I have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. Again, our differences are very clear. But in many cases, there's, there's deep mutual respect because we've interacted long enough to know we want to pursue the truth. We want to pursue the truth, and we're asking God, show us the truth. Where we're right, conf confirm it. Where we're wrong, show us. I mean, that's we agree to pray those kind of prayers for each other so that unbiased we can get before God. And, and I, I am confident, as surely as I'm sitting here speaking to you through this mic, I am confident that God is at work. I am confident that, that many of these very religious Jews will encounter Yeshua and will follow him. I believe it with all of my heart. Here, let me just put a picture up for you. Um, Rabbi Moshe Shulman, uh, we got to meet, I reached out to him on short notice, said, hey, I'm coming up into your area. He is a Babov Chassid, and uh, we've interacted for decades and exchanged lots of emails. We're in a major email exchange now about some doctrinal issues we're discussing together. And uh, he said, yeah, you can take the picture. We were, we were joking about it. But uh, I, I just put it up to say this. He welcomed me under his sukkah. I'm considered to be this leading missionary and this leading Jewish apologist and this this one that, that leads Jews away from Jesus Yeshua. But he said, sure, by all means, let's, let's come and talk. He welcomes all kinds of people. So I, I just put that picture up for a second just to say you can build relations with people that you differ with. And I commend people that in the midst of, I mean, call out error and say this is wrong and that's wrong. 
Uh, I mean, he's commended the material I've written as the best of its kind, but then it said it's wrong. And he's done very thorough research and certain things. Yeah, you're right. I've, I've seen that point, you know, minor point here, minor point there. It said, excellent. It's only going to sharpen what I'm doing. Thank you. Um, but we've had these relationships for many years. And I believe it's because we keep saying, let's follow the truth wherever it leads. Let's follow the truth wherever it leads. And let's demonstrate integrity in the midst of it. So being around the religious Jewish community over these days, and I won't tell you what happened in Brooklyn because that's, that's kind of the wild thing. We've got a lot of video footage to show you. It just deepened my love for the Jewish community, especially the religious Jewish community, and deepened my burden to pray for God's very best for our people. And who could argue with the prayer, may Messiah be fully revealed to the Jewish people, especially to those who pray to him and seek him daily. We'll be right back. We'll take your Jewish-related calls today, 866-34-TRUTH. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, friends, to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. We're getting some messages from our friends on Facebook that the YouTube feed is not working. Well, join us on Facebook. That, that feed is working, and... We'll get it up on YouTube hopefully later today if we have any ongoing issues. 866-348-7884 with your Jewish-related calls. Okay, so here's what happens. I, I met with a couple of different rabbis on Sunday just driving you know, from one part of this New York, another part of Jersey, and then was supposed to go over to Rabbi Shmuley's and meet with him under his sukkah but I was running very late and he had to leave early to go into Brooklyn. And he said to me, Mike, we talked on the phone. He said, meet me in Crown Heights. I said, well, what were we going to meet? He says, well, we'll meet at the Lubavitch headquarters. This is Crown Heights, Brooklyn, the base of the base of operations of the worldwide Lubavitch movement, which is right now the world's largest Jewish education outreach organization and where you'll find religious Jews scattered all around the world, they, they tend largely to be Lubavitch because of their outreach. And they do this inspired by their late leader, Menachem Endur Schneerson, the Rebbe, who died in 1994 at the age of 92, but many of them still believe that he is the Messiah. So he said, come on, Mike, join me there. And it's, it's the last night of dancing. It's, it's the last night of Sukkot and the last night of dancing and celebrating. And, you know, what else are you going to do? I thought, okay, well, I had things to do in my hotel, but I did come in for that reason. And there's traffic everywhere, so you go like 10 miles, like an hour and a half kind of thing. Um, but but let, me just, let me just show you a, a quick video and, and give me an idea of what the atmosphere is, is like and the belief that the, the Rebbe is the Messiah. just want to show you something. We've got commentary with it as well. So here in Crown Heights, right next to the famous... Babit Synagogue, there's the banner, Baruch Haba, Melech HaMashiach, welcome King Messiah, with the picture of the Lubavitch Rebbe. Right, so Baruch Haba, Melech HaMashiach, welcome King Messiah. And 
of course, from our viewpoint, this is a very important teaching and belief they have, namely that the Messiah could die before completing his mission, and, and then in some sense will be revealed again as the Messiah. Other rabbis resisted that and said it sounds like Christianity, and of course we've said, well, it is what Scripture teaches, that the Messiah will die and rise and then finish his mission, but that only one of them truly did rise. This is what I write about in my book, Resurrection. And, and Rabbi Schneerson, arguably the greatest Jewish leader of the 20th century, an extraordinary man in, in many, many ways and revered to this moment by his followers and others, and yet that's, that's part of the backdrop here, part of the, the fervor here. So um, <laughs> Shmuley, who's an avid biker, biked in from New Jersey to, uh, to Brooklyn, and then someone's going to meet him with his rabbi clothes. But I, but I posted this with, with my buddy Shmuley uh, right before the rabbi clothes arrived. And I'm here with Amer- America's favorite rabbi and best biking rabbi, Rabbi Shmuley, here in, uh, in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, for the uh, end of, uh, of Sukkot. So it's, it's quite a, a festive scene here in Brooklyn. And uh, it's going to get more interesting as the moments go on. Right, so Shmuley and I got to hang out for hours, which, which is wonderful. He really is a, a dear friend, and we, we have some wonderful discussions. He was joking, we should do a debate right here, <laughs> which we, were, we joyfully would have done. He uh, said, did folks recognize you? Yeah, some did. And, and, you know, one guy was taking a stealth picture to just show I'm here, but I, I wasn't trying to, I wasn't dressed up in any different way, had a yarmulke on out of respect to the, what was go- going on, etc. But but. I wasn't trying to be anybody else or give any other appearance. And I wasn't there to secretly proselytize. I wasn't there to, no, I was, I was there with my friend Shmuley and to, to dance with other traditional Jews and to just kind of breathe in the atmosphere and ask God for insight and ask God for deeper understanding. And um, I, I'm going to put something up for you and then I'll, I'll be talking over it. But let's, let's put on this this video you can see not that one not that one okay let's uh let's try the next one here where uh yep so you can see if you're watching you can hear in the background that music went on for hours straight i don't think the praise worship team whatever you're calling the band uh, i don't think they took a break for the hours that i was watching they just kept going and then with it, the dancing and celebration all around it. And um, yeah, what's, what's interesting is someone was there who knew me, a Jewish believer, and they took a picture of the big screen. And uh, yeah, if, you, if you're watching, you'll see in the big screen, there I am uh, dancing. And uh, there's Rabbi Shmuley next to me holding hands. And as they're celebrating on the last night of... Um, of Sukkot, the last night of Tabernacles, a, a joyous atmosphere that, that went on for for quite some time. And again, my joy to be in the midst of it and to be thinking of God's heart and understanding God's great love for these traditional Jews in the midst of their devotion and and just just again breathing in the atmosphere and praying for God's heart, God's wisdom. And then Shmuley said to me, you know, it's the last night they're probably going to bring out the, the yellow flags, the, the Mashiach flags, because the movement is divided, whether they believe the Rebbe is the Messiah or not. Maybe secretly most do. The major leaders outwardly say no. 
he could have been the Messiah if we were worthy, but he wasn't, but he was the great leader of the generation. In other words, there's a belief that in every generation there's a potential Messiah. So he was the potential Messiah of the last generation. That's the way many would believe it. But others, large numbers, secretly believe he still is. Many others openly believe he still is, as, as do many in Crown Heights and many, many in Israel. One of my colleagues in Israel told me the vast, vast, vast majority of Lubavitchers that he knows in Israel believe that the Rebbe is the Messiah. So uh, here's what happens now. On this last night, the yellow flags come out, but another set of flags comes out as well. Here's the commentary. The yellow flags are celebrating the Rebbe as the Mashiach, the Babish Rebbe who died in 94, celebrating him as Mashiach. That's still widely believed in the community here. And then you also see a few Trump 2024 signs. Things are building up to the last hour. It's just past midnight now. Yeah, so, <laughs> in fact, we'll, uh, Kyle just put up another video for those watching to play in the background. There you go. So we got the yellow flags, Mashiach, Messiah, some in Hebrew, some in English. And, and then you got the blue flags, Trump, 20. 24. Yeah, there were there were many more of the uh, of the yellow flags, but the blue flags as well. It was it was really quite interesting to see. And and Ashmuli said to me, it's almost like two messiahs, you know, Trump the political messiah. And now, trust me, they don't confuse Donald Trump with their spiritual leader. Uh, but nonetheless, it was fascinating to see that. And uh, massive crowds, thousands of, of people. And all the more as I'm in their midst, am I reminded that trying to show how Jewish you are is, is not going to save a traditional Jewish person. That, that's, that's not going to happen. It is not going to happen. Their traditions are deep. Their traditions are many. Their traditions are rich. And the idea that you start a Messianic congregation with little Jewishness here and there, a few traditions here and there, mainly Gentiles, some Jews, and everybody kind of looks Jewish, that that is going to impress, impact a traditional Jew is utterly laughable. Utterly and completely laughable. It, 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 I'm not going to start giving you analogies, but I've known that for decades. All the more was that underscored being around traditional Jews and, and talking uh, deep scriptural issues with them and, and on and on and on. The idea that, that let's show how Jewish we are and that's going to lead them to Yeshua. Nonsense. Nonsense. Now, it may get a secular Jew to say, oh, you're still Jewish and you believe in Jesus? Yeah. Why oh, Because I, I, I know being Jewish has some meaning to it, but I've never really connected with Jewish tradition. Okay, that can be a positive thing for them. And by all means, Messianic congregations have, have many, many reasons to exist, many beautiful and rich reasons to exist. Absolutely. No question about it. And they help the church recover lost Jewish roots. They, they help remind the Jewish community that you can be Jewish and believe that Jesus, Yeshua, is the Messiah. And, and they're often insights of teaching and understanding and, and in a place where Believers can celebrate the biblical calendar together, but in a Yeshua-centered way. 
many good, rich reasons for Messianic congregations to exist, and I thank God for raising so many up. But the idea we ought to show how Jewish we are, or a Gentile starts dressing like a traditional Jew, all that does is turn people off. Trust me. I'm Jewish. I've interacted with the, the Jewish community, traditional community, for decades and decades, just, just under 50 years of constant, regular interaction. All right? I, I know that of which I speak. You are, you are going to make people think our whole faith is a joke if you try to dress up and show how Jewish you are because they, they live a whole life with that. The outward appearance is, is just the tiniest part of it. But if you walk in the life and power of the Spirit and lift Yeshua up and, and point to him as the Savior and the Messiah and the one through whom God is fully revealed, if you do that with the preaching of the truth of the word, that's how we have an impact. That's how lives have changed. Not by being Jewish, but by pointing people to Jesus, Yeshua. We'll be right back with your calls and then why Israel's salvation should matter to everyone. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. The beautiful voices of ultra-Orthodox Jews singing the Psalms, God who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884 is the number to call. Uh, going to the calls momentarily, let me just say this first. We can show a Jewish person Messianic prophecy and they don't see it, they see things differently, they don't believe the verses point to Jesus. Don't judge the entirety of their life based on that. Oh, do I believe that Jews without Jesus, Jews who reject Jesus as, as Messiah, are lost the same way I believe that about Gentiles? Yes, abs- absolutely. I proclaim and teach Yeshua as the ordained way to God and no salvation outside of him. But you might make a judgment on someone's entire life without saying, w- without recognizing that they may be deeply sincere, that they may be fine people in many ways, that they may lead more disciplined lives than most of us live, that they may spend hours praying to God daily and studying the scriptures and related rabbinic traditions and asking God for insight as they do and doing their best to serve him so I don't look at this as, well, because you don't believe in Jesus. You're just a terrible person in every way. No, I look, there are, in a totally different way, there, there are atheists that are very kind neighbors and, and, and devoted to their families. There, there are people in different religious faiths that, that put us to shame in terms of their good works or things like that. There are progressive Christians that really care for the poor and so on. So either, we, we don't just want to make these wide judgmental uh, comments and, and, and have these broad judgmental thoughts and, and brand everybody some terrible hypocrite. 
Here, you're just like the Pharisees that Jesus denounced in Matthew 23. Well, he denounced those that needed to be denounced. He denounced the wicked leaders in their midst, as the prophets of old denounced wicked leaders in Israel's midst. But it doesn't mean that all of the religious Jews, or all of the Pharisees, were all like that. So let, let's not paint exaggerated pictures. We do the same within the body. Someone has a doctrinal difference, we demonize them. Let's... Let's step higher. Let's be real. Let's, let's follow truth. Fair enough? 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Skip in northern Utah. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, sir. My, uh, my question has to do a lot with what you're talking about, but I still haven't quite heard the answer. Um, so the Jews do not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, yet in the Bible, um, you know, Jesus says, I am the truth, the way, and the light, and the only way to God is through me. So how, where's the disconnect? I'll hang up and listen. appreciate you. Thank you. Yeah, sure thing. Um, So why don't we believe Muhammad is the seal of the prophets? He claimed to bring the final revelation from God, Allah, the one true God. He claimed that that all before him were kind of preparing the way for his final revelation and that those that truly believed in God would receive him. Well, we believe he was wrong. We don't believe he was inspired by God. We, we don't accept the authority of the Quran, and we look at him as a false prophet. So Jews would look at Jesus the same way. Either they'd say, we don't even know what he said, people put those words in his mouth, or if he really said that, he was wrong. Either he was deceived, he was a willful deceiver, but when he claimed to be the way, the truth, and life, they'd say he wasn't, just like we would reject Muhammad, or like an atheist would reject Moses claiming to speak for God. they say, there is no God. So because they don't accept the authority of the New Testament, because they don't believe that Jesus fulfilled the essential messianic prophecies, which in their minds would be the regathering of the exiles, the destruction of the wicked, the leading all of Israel into obedience to God through Torah, uh, and and then once the temple is destroyed, the rebuilding of the temple, establishing peace on earth, they'd say because he didn't do that, he's not the Messiah. Therefore, they would reject his claims. We would say we know he is who he claimed to be because he fulfilled the central prophecies that had to be fulfilled before the second temple was destroyed, and he rose from the dead, and his work continues around the world. Uh, There are other religious Jews that would utterly reject even testimony of the New Testament and claim that that he was an idolater, that he worshipped other gods and led Israel astray, so they have their own traditions. But bottom line, they don't accept the authority of the New Testament, they don't believe that he fulfilled prophecy, they don't believe he died for our sins. They don't believe he rose from the dead. They just look at him like another first century Jew. Some think he was a great teacher. Some think he was a false prophet. Some don't think much about him at all. Most don't think anything about him on a, on a regular basis any more than most of us think about Muhammad. So that's why we have to pray for God to open hearts and minds. And then Paul explains in, in Romans 9 through 11, because of the national rejection of Jesus, then, then hardness of heart came as a result. So in that sense, there is a a veil. There are blinders over their eyes in terms of who Jesus Yeshua is. Add to this the fact that through much of church history, the church persecuted Jews who didn't believe in Jesus, which made them think if there's anyone we don't believe in, it's it's that guy in that religion. And the church departed so far from its Jewish roots that Jews couldn't even recognize it. So the church has been complicit in that as well. All right, let's go to Alberto in Savannah, Georgia. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Well, good afternoon, Dr. Carl uh, Brown. Brown. Dr. Brown, sorry, I'm going to say. 
Mr. Brown, um, my question is, you know, the Jews were scattered all over the world, right? You said, yep. and, and so how come you always say, well, the black Israelites is a false call. They're not, they're, they're not, they're not true Israelites. So why is it only other ethnic groups are considered Jews like Russian, Chinese, and not others not considered Jews? Cause you don't know if, if any Jews could have shacked up with a, African woman. Or, oh, or oh no, there, there are plenty of there are plenty of black Jews. No one's denying that they're black Jews. The black Hebrew Israelites are a cult. They teach that the white man is the manifestation of Satan. They basically teach that that all Africans are original Israelites. They teach that people like me are not really Jews. They teach false doctrine about who Yeshua is, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, often hate filled, anger filled deceptive cult, no question about that. Are there black Israelites that was descended from Israel? Yes, yes. DNA testing has confirmed it. And Israel has welcomed them back. Ethiopian Jews welcome back uh, to Israel. And uh, for example, the Lemba tribe in Zimbabwe, there are some in, in Nigeria that you can trace through DNA. Some it's less clear. Some claim to have Israelite heritage, and there's debate, or where did it come from, or why would they make that claim? It's fascinating to trace this down. Some in India have claimed descent, and it's been questioned. Uh, some seems to be more genuine. You can generally find it through DNA. Um, as I understand it, the black Hebrew Israelites came out of groups that would have been distant descendants of the lost tribes of Israel, and these distant descendants then uh, still maintained Jewish identity, uh, even coming over as slaves in America, they still maintained Jewish identity, and then ultimately formed congregations of, of, of black Jews slash Israelites. And this movement came out of that, that then developed the false teaching that all Africans were actually Israelites, that people like me, who are Caucasian, are not really Jews, and then other heretical doctrines and things came out of it. Yeah, so it's black Hebrew Israelites are a dangerous, deceptive, destructive cult, absolutely, growing in influence in many ways, in, in, especially in the inner cities in America. And by God's grace, uh, they need to be exposed and people brought out of legalism, out of hate, into a real encounter with the living God. But among them, there have got to be some that would be able to trace lineage back to, uh, to Israel and confirm it with DNA, but not the way they teach it, and not the way they put it up on their charts. That's just falsehood. So thanks for your question. I appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Mary in Des Moines, Iowa. Welcome to the line of fire. Thanks. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Okay. Uh, two quick questions. One, I wondered if there were any women there with you under the sukkah, or if it was just all men. And then... Uh, the thing I wanted to bring up was um, I was in a town with the University of Transcendental Meditation, and so many Jews came. They formed their own synagogue, <clears throat> but of course the Orthodox don't sanction it. But um, whenever I would suggest they read Daniel or something, or Isaiah or something like that, they would. When I went back to them, they'd say, "Well, I haven't read what Rabbi So and So says about it." And, and it just occurred to me, and this is only one incident, so it's not good to make a general thing, but I just wondered, do the Jewish people reverence what the rabbis say more than what God says? 
his word directly. Yeah, yeah, so, that, yes, so, so Mary. That's a good thing to remind yeah. them to go to the highest first, to just go to God first. Right, right. So, so Mary, what they would say, a traditional Jew would say this, that God gave us the written scriptures, and he gave us uh, the the an oral tradition that goes along with it. So he gave us the written word, and he gave us an oral tradition by which we understand it. And that would be we would be foolish to not go to what our tradition says. In, in other words, they would say, well, my fathers were closer to the original tradition, and their fathers even closer, and their fathers even closer. So we go back to those traditions. If you're Catholic, you believe in Scripture plus tradition. Eastern Orthodox, you believe in Scripture plus tradition and believe that there's been an ongoing tradition in the church, um, and, and therefore you can understand Scripture by means of that, and you're not supposed to read Scripture independently, but in the context of, of church life and church tradition. A rabbi, a rabbi said to me the other day, we're supposed to read the Scripture holding hands with the previous generations so, so that we are linked together and reading Scripture as, as one through the centuries. Um, my challenge, and this is where I very much respond as you would, well, what if the rabbis are wrong? What if the traditions are wrong? What if I can show you that the tradition says the Bible says other than what it says? Let's say the Bible says 2 plus 2 is 4, and the tradition says 2 plus 2 is 5. Would you then begin to question the tradition more and look at the Scripture directly more? So that's what I encourage. Don't despise the traditions, but compare them carefully. And if you see that, that they're not fully accurately interpreting Scripture, now dig, deep, deep, dig deeper and get in the Word and say, okay, God, show me. Am I missing something? Because I, I recognize this as your word. Uh, were there women under the sukkah? Um, it, with one family I met, some of the family came in with, with uh, some of the grandkids, you know, girls and things like that. Um, but it'd be perfectly fine. I mean, men, women, everyone be under the sukkah together. Families, that would be normal, having meals uh, together. As for the dancing in Crown Heights, no, the women were on the side watching. It was only the men dancing in the midst of it. All right, we'll be right back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. This is Michael Brown, 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Okay, uh, let's see, a little under half hour from now, 4.15 Eastern Time. We'll be back on YouTube for exclusive weekly Q&A chat. If we don't get your calls today, it's a great way. You don't have to call in. You could just type in your question and we get to as many as we can. We cover a whole lot of ground, take 45 minutes to an hour to answer as many of your questions as we can. And it's, it's wide-ranging, it's lively, it's fascinating. So that'll be on YouTube, 415 Ask Dear Brown, Ask Dr. Brown YouTube channel. I said at the outset of the broadcast, I want to talk to you about why Israel's salvation matters to every believer. I've said this many times, but but I can't overemphasize it, that a Jewish Jerusalem must welcome the Messiah back, that that 
Jesus tells us at the end of Matthew 23 that Jerusalem will not see him again, will be left in judgment until it says, Baruch haba blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Another way of saying we welcome you, King Messiah, based on words taken from Psalm 118. We know that world missions is important, don't we? Do we all understand as followers of Jesus that world missions is important, that, that taking the good news of Jesus to the ends of the earth is important, that, that everyone should hear the gospel? And many of us believe that Jesus will not return and establish his kingdom on the earth until everyone has heard, not every individual, but every, every people group, every tongue, every, every nation. And this way, Revelation 7, there can be redeemed from every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity, every people group. So that's why missions has been at the heart of the church over the centuries. That's why, by God's grace, uh, our ministry school birthed a missions movement, which continues to this day with fine workers serving sacrificially all around the world, making an amazing impact for Jesus. Uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's why we evangelize in our communities. We know that's important. But do we understand that Israel's salvation is also important? I'm not saying this because I'm Jewish. I'm, I'm not saying this out of any favoritism. It's just the way God set it up. He started with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and then the people of Israel, so that through them, the Messiah could come and be revealed. When the Messiah was rejected on a national level by his people, in God's plan now, this message went out to the entire world, and the culmination is, it comes back to Israel, and Israel turns. Romans 11, verses 11 through 15, which we've covered many times on the air, but if, if you're not familiar with it, read Romans 9, 10, and 11, and ask God for insight as you read it. And this was so important to Paul. He took all this time to lay this out to make sure the Roman believers understood this. But he explains that if Israel's rejection of the Messiah brought the salvation of the world, in other words, all of us who are believers, but specifically Gentile believers all around the world, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of millions who've come to faith and had their sins forgiven and been redeemed and come to know God, if that happened as a result of Israel getting things wrong. Paul writes, what happens when Israel gets things right? What about Israel's acceptance? What about Israel's return? It would be life from the dead, literally resurrection. It would usher in the Messiah's return and the, and the glorious millennial kingdom on the earth when the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas and the words of the prophets be fulfilled. And, and look, Peter preached this in Acts 3. What does he tell his Jewish audience? Repent and turn to God, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah, whom heaven must receive until the time of the restitution of all things. Did you get that? It is a glorious truth that Peter is preaching to his Jewish audience, knowing that if there is a national turning, it will bring back the Messiah. You say, what about all the Gentiles? Well, then through Jewish obedience, the knowledge of God would be spread through the entire world. If, if Israel turned as a whole, then the, the prophetic promises that would, would, would culminate then with, with all of the glory taking place on the earth and the nations coming into right relationship with God. So this remains God's heart. 
And it's one of the reasons why the gospel is to the Jew first. You see, that just meant historically. No, keep reading to Romans 2. Paul explains how judgment comes to the Jew first and then the Gentile, and how blessing comes to the Jew first and then the Gentile. And because this is a message about the Messiah of Israel, and because Israel still has a role to play in world redemption, therefore the gospel is to the Jew first. I want to encourage every pastor, every leader, to, to ask God for his heart. And if you haven't read Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, I, I think that would be a great place to start to further give you a heart and to help you recognize what's happened in church history and why it's so important for us to, to bring this message of Israel's salvation back and the Jewishness of Jesus and the truth of the gospel. And you say, but we don't have like a Lord's Jewish community. Well, pray for Israel's salvation, not just for blessing on Israel, but for Israel's salvation. Pray for Israel's salvation. Support those who do outreach. If you believe in our ministry, support our ministry because we are on the front lines of Jewish outreach and resourcing Jewish outreach and apologetics around the world by God's grace. But it's more a condition of heart than anything. This should matter. This should matter. Every believer I'm speaking to, ask God, Lord, share your heart with me about the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He'll, he'll do that. Israel's salvation should matter to every believer, just like world missions should matter to every believer. This, too, is a priority in God's heart. No favoritism. In Yeshua, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We are equals. No caste system, no class system. We are one in the Messiah with our distinctives, just like men and women are different, Jew and Gentile are different, but we're one in Messiah, beautiful harmony, a beautiful symphony. And in God's sight, too much is given, much is required. Much judgment has come on Israel. Much blessing will come to Israel. Uh, all right, got time still for a call or two. Let's go to Don in Western North Carolina. Welcome to the line of fire. Uh, thank you, Dr. Brown, for taking my call. <clears throat> uh, in, in your, in your uh, question, why Israel's salvation should matter to you, shouldn't the welfare of the nations that support Israel, uh, particularly the Western nations like America, and your matter to Israel, and, and I, I say this because I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, the Talmud, which many Jewish rabbis consider to be holy uh, writ, uh, and so and so, and also the Zohar, but particularly the, the Talmud, because in the Talmud, uh, what I've seen is that Jesus, the your Lord and Savior, is is called a magician, a very evil man who is right now and hell boiling in excrement, and Mary, his mother, was a woman of ill repute. So, and they, and the Jewish rabbis also say that the Western world, America, uh, Western Europe, Christianity, are the descendants of Esau, or Edom and Amalek, which, according to the rabbis, uh, the Messiah will destroy. Hey, hey Don, so, can, I, can I ask you a question? Are you familiar yeah with the Talmudic teaching that the righteous of all nations have a place in the world to come. Are you familiar with that? Uh, yes, I am. But you're, uh, uh, you're still uh, answering uh, that question. Then. No, no, no. I'm, I'm asked, uh, have you ever read a page of the Talmud in, in your yes, life? I have. In, yes. in, uh, you've actually read a whole page? No, yeah, I've, I've read parts of the Talmud. No, no, no. Not, not, all right, so, so Don, so here, I'm going to educate you here. You are reading the material put out by anti-Semites is what you're doing you are getting a massively distorted view of the Talmud. If the Talmud talks about Jesus at all, which is an if, because there's a debate, is it really talking about the same Jesus because there are many Yeshuas and people of similar names, and, and they've got them chronology all different places. 
But if it is, you've got a few hundred words of reference out of several million words. Jesus is not the subject of the Talmud. And if you read a page of the Talmud, you'd, you'd know that. If you actually read a page on your own, you'd know that. But you really couldn't do it without a teacher anyway because it would be so foreign to you, the, the material. And the Messiah is going to lead all of the world into an era of peace according to Talmudic teaching. And the wicked will be destroyed, which is what the New Testament teaches. But even if there were a few passages in the Talmud that spoke evil of Jesus, yeah, that's what some rabbis believed. That's why we pray for their salvation. Paul put believers to death and said God had mercy on him because he acted ignorantly in an unbelief. Peter, preaching in Acts 3, says to the Jewish leaders who were involved with the crucifixion of Jesus, you acted ignorantly. So I look at this and say, they've written that in ignorance. And we believe that the wicked will be destroyed. We believe that the nations that attack Jerusalem will, will be destroyed, according to Zechariah 14. We believe that all those who don't believe, who resist the gospel will be destroyed, 2 Thessalonians 1. So use equal measures here, sir. Uh, Israel today is tremendously appreciative of Western support. And, and Judaism recognizes the spirituality of people and other religions and faiths. It even says that a God-fearing Gentile can be more righteous than a high priest. So I would urge you, sir, I would urge you to get my book, Christian Antisemitism. Since you want to be a lover of truth, I urge you, get the book and read it. And, and we straighten out one thing after another. There's a lot of gross misrepresentation out there leading to anti-Semitism. If you really want to find the truth, get my book, Christian Anti-Semitism. It, it'll be a tremendous eye-opener. I believe it will help you see the truth better. And again, we're praying for Israel's salvation because we don't believe Israel is saved right now. See you on YouTube, 15 minutes. Another program powered by the Truth Network.